This week on Personally Speaking, our guest is the film director and screenwriter, Matthew Brown. He has a great new film, Freud's Last Session, a debate, really, between Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis about belief and unbelief. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti. And Matthew Brown joins me now. Matt is the director and co-writer of Sony Picture Classics film called Freud's Last Session, which opened in theaters in December and stars actors Anthony Hopkins and Matthew Good. The film imagines a meeting between avowed atheist Sigmund Freud, who invented psychoanalysis, and the Christian apologist writer C.S. Lewis as they debate the existence of God. Previously, Matt wrote and directed The Man Who Knew Infinity, starring Deb Patel and Jeremy Irons. Matt Brown is here with us today to talk about his life, his career, the values that matter the most to him, and bringing two towering historical figures to life on the big screen who challenge each other with respect in regard to science and religion. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking film director Matthew Brown. I'm Jim Lasanti. You've already dealt a little bit with Lisa, my producer, but we're ready to rock and roll. We're on both YouTube and Sirius XM. So um, Matthew Brown's our guest. The movie is Freud's Last Session. Matthew, I want to tell you a, a little local story because it connects to your life. A kid named Paul Santoli I ran into in a pizzeria years ago. He tells me he's going to make movies. And son of a gun, the guy goes out to Los Angeles and he just had his first film because of Mika that's on Amazon Prime. But just talking about trying to make a movie was amazing to me. And, and I realized it takes enormous tenacity to beginning, middle, and end get there. So tell us about Matthew Brown. Do you have natural tenacity? How do you deal with what it takes to put together a movie like Freud's Last Session? I mean, it's a, it's a lot of patience and perseverance, I think. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, they're hard. They're, um, you have to have real passion for what it is that you're, you're going to do for a film. I think I, I, I don't know how you would do it otherwise. Cause it, it just can be, it can take so long to, yeah. to be in so many different obstacles along the way. I mean, every time you think, I mean, even on this film, we get Anthony Hopkins to say yes. And you think, <laughs> Oh, that's going to be the magic thing that makes it happen. And you know, it's still, still not, you know, yeah, so it's, right. <laughs> it's, um, it's just, it's one of those things that's um, you careful what you wish for in life, you know, when you <laughs> decide yeah. I want to do this and, um, you better really have the passion behind it. Um, that that's what I've learned from it. But um, yeah, I mean, some of these projects. This one was about seven years in the works. I did another wow. film, Man in New Infinity, and that took like ten or twelve years to have happen. And, <laughs> oh, but God. you know, I finally learned you you need to have multiple projects, so yeah, you, you don't just get stuck on one. But um, it it can take a long time. And in, in the time in between. You also have a life, and uh, I, I'm intrigued by that. Like when you're focused on a creative project like Freud's last session, it takes a lot of time uh, raising the money and getting the actors and everything else. Um, how possible is it to have a normal, uh, lived, regular life? Like for those that don't know, Matthew Brown is 
uh, blessed with Melissa and a beautiful baby as well. You try to raise a family and at the same time, juggle all these other things. How do you do it? It's a bit unorthodox. That's for sure. I mean, I, I grew up in, I grew up in Boston. And um, so my life, most of my friends, I mean, they, you know, that they, they weren't, we were never, never thinking we liked to watch movies, but we didn't um, think that that was going to be, uh, that wasn't something I was ever considering as an occupation growing up. Um, mm. Father, I come from a family of doctors, really. Uh, my father's a psychiatrist. Um, he thought I needed to get my head checked when I decided <laughs> I was going to go into try to go into a film business, but um, it, it's, it's different. I, I think everybody's different. And, you know, my father always said to me, if you do something that you love, you'll work really, really hard at it. And, and that will hopefully give you good results. And I happen to love, I was always a writer and, mm. um, and I loved film. I never put the two together growing up. But when I finally did, I said, Oh, this is something I, I would love to do. And um, so it, but but it's a strange life. It's not a nine to five job. It's a right. it, it really take over your life. I mean, it's seven days a week all the time, whether it's developing projects, trying to get films to go um, when you're actually making a film. I mean, it's incredibly fast. It's sort of surreal because you've been working on something for, say, seven years. And then within two months, it's shot. And right. what just happened? <laughs> so. Talking um, about the feel, the anticlimactic feeling. Oh my God, what do I do now? Let me ask you too, because I, I'm intrigued by this. Uh, for our listeners and watchers, I'd like them to see uh, your. I think in some ways your masterwork for its last session. But having said that, uh, aside from going to the movies to see it, uh, where is it available? Well, it will be coming out. Um, I th I think on Netflix. I'm, I'm not totally sure, but I know it'll be on the streaming platforms in the next couple of months. Okay. Um, it's uh Sony Pictures Classics uh distributed it and they're um they're great because they get they're still doing theatrical releases, but um mm -hmm. inevitably this film will be in the um you know on the streaming platforms. I can't say which yet. I'm not sure. I think it's going to prime maybe first. Okay. Um, I think in the next month. And it's um, you know, these kinds of films they're they're not you know x-men and so <laughs> in a lot of ways the crowd that used to go to try to see these kinds of films in the theater now especially post-covid is waiting to see them at home um yeah where it's, it's just a little bit more comfortable and i, I get that actually so and, um, and, and matthew what about uh, for people like my sainted mother who lived in and lived for uh, dvds eventually on dvd I imagine it will be. I I can't speak to that anymore. I don't. I, yeah. The technology's all changed. So it is. It is. Yeah. We we've it's normally awesome. on this program over the years had guests in, and I'll say, oh, we're going to mail you a CD of the <laughs> interview, and and one of the actors from Broadway said, what's a CD? <laughs> like, oh, suddenly I'm feeling very very old. I right there. Yeah. <laughs> now, for those who haven't yet studied the Freud last last session, we've got an interesting debate between. Sigmund Freud, who is a, an avowed atheist, and uh, C.S. Lewis, who is a believer. Um, I, I mention all that because I, I'm intrigued by the fact that you have this dynamic of two very different points of view. Years ago, I saw a play in New York by the playwright Bill Quigley called Tomorrow Morning, and he had a mom who was scheduled for termination the next day. And during the night, her 15-year-old son comes out to debate her on letting, a, letting, letting him live. Interesting, because at the end of the play, I think most of us walked out of there saying that was the most balanced presentation of the pro-choice versus pro-life approach. In the same way, uh, anyone watching Freud's last session says, uh, Matthew Brown is going for balance. He's trying to be fair and presenting both sides. Do you think you succeeded? And is it a hard thing to do? 
not to have a particular predominant point of view. It is a hard thing to do. Um, whether I succeeded or not, I, 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 I did for the most part for myself. I, you know, when you're when you're making a film, you have to make certain choices just for the film, for the edit of the film. And I did lose a few scenes that I well, my favorite scene of the movie uh, isn't there actually now. So I, um, it, it's tough because I, you're trying to make that balance happen. I was I felt very strongly that it was my. It, it, the reasons I wanted to make this movie is I wanted there to be conversation. And I, I thought that there should be conversation and there should be respect and you should not have to um, agree with your somebody else, but you can still like them. You know, you can still have respect for them. And to me, if I chose a side or I picked a side, then I was, I was betraying the audience in a sense. Um, so I wanted it to be fair and even, um, but whether it is or not, I mean, I think Freud talks a lot more. So at times I felt like I needed to, sort of help Lewis out, but that was just the, the nature of the, um, of the material. Um, so yes, it's a tricky one. I, I felt like as the filmmaker, I wanted to keep my own bias out of it. And Mm -hmm. I think that extent I did. Um, I think that's kind of, that's not something that is necessarily embraced these days. You, you're supposed to sort of hammer the other side and say, this guy wins. Um, but that just wasn't the film I was trying to make. I, I felt like our society is so polarized, and that was what drew me to the material to begin with. And I thought, well, you know, there's some really valid points on both sides and we can listen and hear and 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 try to, you know, listening is something that is just sort of a forgotten art. And um, actually, Matthew Good's performance in the film, I'm so I'm so impressed with because he's such a good listener and you yeah. can read on his face everything he's feeling while he's listening. He doesn't have to yell back. And Matthew and I talked and he was like, I just don't believe Lewis is going to shout back at this man who's dying. He has respect for him and, right. you know, it, um, and he can listen and he can disagree and he can be a big boy and process that without, you know, um, just, I feel like today it's the loudest voice wins and mm. that it doesn't win because we're not listening. So Matthew in, in other interviews, and I was intrigued when you said this, uh, this film for our lo- lo- watchers and, and listeners is taking place in the context of just the beginning of world war two, the world is in chaos and, uh, and you've said that you see parallels between our own age and that age. Can you tell us what you meant by that? Well, I just think there's, I mean, at that time, fascism was on the rise, communism was on the rise. Um, and uh, I think today, you know, we were living in the shadow of what, two wars happening at the same time right now. Um, I feel like um, there's a lot of manipulation with the media, which was going on at that time as well. Um, and there's just, there's a lot of similarities and I, I sort of felt like it was a, I think if you don't learn from the mistakes of the past or you don't know your history, then you're doomed. And this was a case of sort of showing what they were going through at that time and hopefully seeing some parallels to the two and, um, and actually having two great creative, amazing minds that totally disagree with other each other willing to come and listen and actually have a debate willingly wanting to do it, I thought was, you know, to me, that was compelling for what it's worth. A few years back, Matthew, I was uh, at a dinner with um, the film critic Rex Reed. And I said, you know, we should do an interview about religious films, so-called. And uh, he said, no, 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 that would be so tedious and so boring because religious films are all awful. Who can listen to them? Who can bother? And I don't think of your film as distinctly religious. It presents both sides, but uh, certainly addresses belief and unbelief. Um, 
did you get discouraged from anyone when it came to you're touching on super hot topics atheism a lack of belief versus people were deeply convicted most semi-religious films people avoid you didn't avoid it you took it right on in this theme film uh any reservations about doing that I mean, as an artist, I guess you don't think about these things too hard going into them. I mean, I knew it was there. Yeah. I, I knew I knew it was coming, <laughs> but I tried to not. I tried not to focus on it. I tried to really think about why I was trying to tell this story. Um, mm -hmm. Subsequent to the movie coming out and everything, I I hear a lot of the stuff from both sides. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. And you know, to me, in many ways, you know, I I was also trying to tell a human story. It's about a man who's dying really he's days away from his death and he's it's, i think all of us whether you this is a non-believer being freud but mm -hmm. i mean how great for him would it be if he could figure out uh a few days before he dies that there, he's chesting the waters he's looking at it he's sort of looking into the abyss and really thinking about everything and um and he's intellectually curious so to me that was in many ways that was a big part of what this was about for me and um, I wasn't going to shy away from from the. I mean, I, I think that's what drew me to it. If anything, mm -hmm. was this idea of what is next. I've I had the unfortunate. Um, I've, I've lost a lot of friends in this life, so I've contemplated, you know, my mortality a number of times. Um, and I suppose that comes out in a lot of my work and the themes of the work. So, you know, Matthew, you know, in in the movie, of course. Uh... Freud is played by Anthony Hopkins is a, is a lion. He's even though he's dying, he's he's bigger than life. And uh, one of the things I've always believed as a Christian believer is that you really can't be a Christian without trying to be kind to people you like and people you don't agree with. And I love uh, your your C.S. Lewis character actor because he even when they disagree, he he has kindness in his face, as you said. He listens. I would say he listens with compassion to another point of view. And I was just thinking. What a great world we'd have if we all could listen like that. Um, which brings me to uh, those who are critical, those who are negative. I want to talk about two aspects of that. Um, when it comes to being critical and critics, uh, we years ago in a parish I was in, we said, let's find out for the four priests who were there how people like our preaching. So we sent down an evaluation form. And I thought it would be helpful for us to know what people thought. Um, a couple of the priests were so deeply wounded when they actually found that people thought they were awful. I mentioned, I mentioned that because I wonder, as a filmmaker, as both a director and as a writer, do you care what critics have to say? Do you read what they have to say? Do you stay away from that so it doesn't distract you? What do you do? Oh, with it's critics? a challenge. It's a it's an absolute challenge. I mean, the critics are they were tough on this film, um, and that was unfortunate. I mean, I think about it unfortunate for the film because mm -hmm. I make I make films for audiences, yeah, um, and I make them for you know, and the people that I really respect and people that I you know, I, I welcome criticism when I think it's thoughtful and helpful. Um, you know, for me personally, I think it's helpful. Uh, but, you know, there there's a lot of piling on and a lot of stuff these days that it's um it's a little bit um, unproductive, I, I would say, is a nice way of putting it. Um, so you have to kind of separate yourself from it. But when I sit with an audience with this film and I see the reactions that it has and how much people enjoy it. I'm like, I have this, I'm so confused because then, you know, you hear critics saying, well, you should have made the film this way, or you should have had one guy win and throttle the other guy. And you should have, I, I'm like, well, do you go make that film? I made this film. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the audience seems to like it. So I don't know what to say. 
So, you know, uh, back in 1975, I had a fundraiser in New York for disabled children. And I invited the film director, Frank Capra, to come. We showed It's a Wonderful Life. And the audience from beginning to end was totally in his hands. They loved it. They cried. They laughed. And he got up at the end and he said, I want you to know that when this came out in 1946, that the critics savaged it. He said, but I make my film for you. And the fact that this audience loved it. And I, I think you, you're probably saying the same thing. You probably know Ted Melfi, who made uh, Hidden Figures. Yeah. And, and when I said, you know, some of the critics didn't like your stuff, he said, yeah, let me go through the numbers of the money we made because people liked it, you know? So in the end, how much do you listen to the critics? I, I suppose it's important too, but at the same time, you're saying, I want the audience to be touched. And you had another film that became an audience favorite, right? There was a it festival. It was Man into Infinity. And I mean, that film, you know, that was a little bit more of a straightforward, um, dramatic three-act structure story. So I think it was a little easier for an audience to walk away from it, Um you know, emotionally engaging in it. This film yeah. is more of a think piece and it's intentionally so. Um, so it's it's a slightly less emotional in a sense, but still emotional. I guess it depends on your point of view. I mean, yeah, um, I mean there are lots of point of views out there. <laughs> you know, I, I have funny story actually. Rid Ridley Scott, who I've I've had that he saw my last film and was so sweet and he's taken me under his wing a few times with some projects afterwards, said to me, you know, there was this film um that I did, a little film called Blade Runner. <laughs> and uh, and I keep the review over my desk because it was such a savaging that said that he should no longer work in the film business and, you know, or had no place oh. in it. And, and he's like, <laughs> so, <laughs> isn't that great? Make and, the movie for yourself, you know, make, make something you can be proud of. Don't, don't let them get to you. There's a, an award. I forget which one, maybe golden globes where Robert Downey Jr. Just kept ready, reading his, awful reviews of people saying he was a terrible actor and here he is receiving his acting award. Here's a, a strange but wonderful question. Uh, in in the, in the movie, we have uh, Anthony Hopkins playing Sigmund Freud and uh, he's, he's he's got a lot of anger in him and of course, Anthony Hopkins is terrific at conveying rage and anger. I mention that because in my experience, I had a chance to meet Christopher Hitchens. I liked him, loved his, re his writing. But mm -hmm. an angry guy, especially when it came to belief um, I'm thinking of uh, another, uh, Ed Asner, the wonderful actor we had on, who identified as an atheist. I'm trying to think of some of the other wonderful atheists we've had on. Oh, Ron Reagan, the, the president's son, president of the uh, American atheists and stuff. Recently, John Rubenstein, the wonderful stage actor in New York. All of them identify as atheists, and all of them, when being talked to or interviewed, like a lot of anger at believers. And I thought to myself, like with Rubenstein, I said, hey, if you don't believe, that's fine. I said, I do hope to see you in heaven. But, you know, if you don't believe, that's okay. But he, And he calmed down. He said, I'm sorry for being so frontal in my attack on religion. Here's my question for you, Matthew, as you try to uh, portray what Sigmund Freud's all about. Do you have any idea why atheists can't be a little passive about their point of view, but they seem to be like, if you're religious, they're out to get you. They, they're not happy with you. They want to convince you that they're right. There is no God. Why? I I don't know. And I felt like <laughs> that showed up with the critics too, just because I yeah. felt like in handling C.S. Lewis the way I chose to do it, that really upset some people. I, I don't understand it. I, I, you, you've got, that's a great question. I, I don't know the answer to it other than that. Um, it's just a lack of tolerance. And I think there should be more tolerance. Maybe it's because I feel like, I, I think that for them in some ways they feel like, religion has been intolerant of of them mm -hmm. you know i yeah and i i can understand that to a degree with some people but i mean you know there's crazies on every side you know that's <laughs> the thing 
<laughs> and, and most of us that are not totally on the far ends of things uh, have more in common than we probably realize. And we ought to just give each other a little bit of a chance. We can still disagree, but maybe you'll learn something. I don't, I don't know. There's a, uh, we've been blessed to have a number of film directors on the program over the years and almost to a person, they've tried to make films that celebrate the human spirit. Uh, do you have like, is Matthew Brown direct to have a particular call in life or direction? Is it just, I find a good story. I'm going to make it a good film. Or is there an overarching point of view that you have that you'd like to, when Matthew Brown is gone someday, Oh, I remember his films. This seemed to be what he was saying. It's interesting. I, I, I'm going to hopefully do this other film that I thought I was going to do instead of this film first. Uh, it's coming back around and it's completely, completely different than my last two films. Oh. <laughs> and it's, it's more of like almost a romantic comedy, but it's a period one. And it's, um, it, it's really fun. It's about food and love and revolution set in France. And um, so it couldn't be any more different. Um, but it's, I don't know. I'm I'm drawn I'm drawn to these kinds of themes and it'll show back up. I mean, I have four other projects right now that are all um they're all very um kind of I don't know, they don't want to say deep, but they deal with deeper themes of um mm -hmm. mortality and um and I suppose God creeps creeps into all of them. So, I don't know. I I <laughs> okay. it's just it's one I of those things that um you, I, I feel like as a filmmaker, it's like I said, it's so hard to get these films made. You have to be very, very passionate about it. So yeah. as a filmmaker, I'd like to think I can do things outside of whatever this strange genre is. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, so I will. I'll stretch some different muscles for a bit. But because um, uh, I think one is allowed to have some fun, too. But um, yeah. I, I think I'll inevitably keep on making films like this. Matthew, coming into this project, what did you know of Sigmund Freud? What did you know of C.S. Lewis? Um, well, I, for C.S. Lewis, I knew, I, I knew less than I thought I knew. Um, I knew about his, his writings and his books that I grew up on in, in mm -hmm. Narnia. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know about his, um, I sort of knew a little bit about his PTSD, but I didn't know much about his relationship with Janie Moore. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know, I had quite a bit to learn. I, 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 so I started doing some of the, um, some of uh, listening to some of his talks during the war, listening with his one, only one really recorded one, but reading and then listening to the one recorded one, listen, reading, um, how he came to finding his faith and, and his writings. I didn't, I had no idea how much writings he had done about Christianity beyond mm. his fictional works that I grew up with as a kid. As far as Freud goes, I mean, my dad was a psychiatrist, so I grew up in a house of books about Freud, um, of which I didn't read too much. And I knew some about dreams because I was interested in that. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I sort of lived in a deep, dark shadow. <laughs> I'm probably working something <laughs> Freudian out by making the film. So, um, yeah. I, I learned quite a bit about both of them. But I mean, at its core, when you're doing a movie like this for me, I, I was just looking, I, I wanted people to almost forget that it was Freud and Lewis at times and just see him as two people, any two people that one person's dying and he has this set of beliefs and another person has come to these new beliefs and he's brought him in to, to talk to him and to maybe he needs him. And so it's sort of like a therapy session that's going on for both of them um, and looking at their lives. I mean, this wasn't to me, it wasn't a movie being shot in one room with two actors. I wanted to bring in the unconscious for both of them. And and you and, did. 
and you did. You opened it up beautifully. Uh, and I, I promise this will be the, the last question, Matthew, but I, I'm just wondering when you look back at that time, that uh, beginning of World War II, and as you said, you've made parallels to our own time. When you see uh, some of the division and the terror and the violence, and uh, from my point of view, I'm troubled by, uh, in many ways, the, the lack of trust or faith in the future. Um, do you find yourself, personally and both professionally, a, a man of hope? Oh, yes. Yeah. I am. I mean, I think you can't do, you can't be a film director and or writer director and, and, and not have hope. I mean, I'm, I, if you ask my wife, she'll say, you don't seem particularly positive most of the time, but underneath it, I think I carry a tremendous amount of positivity. <laughs> hope that I don't reveal to her. <laughs> so, I, yeah. yeah, I do. And I, I, I try to, I mean, no, it's scary. The world's a scary place right now. I think it's more scary by the technology that lets us know second by second, all the awful things in the world and how yes. loudest voices can, I think in, in 1940 or 1939 or whatever this was 38, it, it, you didn't, you had newspapers, you know, and you, you would hear people, but it wasn't, they didn't have Twitter or X or whatever it's called. And they didn't have the constant barrage of, you know, mm -hmm. CNN is this way and Fox news is this way, or, you know, Newsmax. It was like people it's a, it was just a different time that way in terms of media. So I, I think hope is a little bit harder today um, yeah. or has a different challenge because you just get bombarded constantly. Um, maybe it all just needs to slow down a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't imagine going, to be honest with you personally, I could imagine going to a film uh, based on a, a cartoon, but a film like yours is precisely the kind of film I want to see more of. And I especially appreciated, Matthew, that uh, that you do present two sides. You know, I, 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 I'm obviously as a Catholic priest, very involved in the whole pro-life issue, but I, I have friends who uh, have been doctors who did abortions. And uh, mm. I want to know, like, you know, what motivates you? What makes you think this is okay? And I just want to understand, I, I love both sides. And uh, I appreciate that what you did as balanced and as fair as you could is present two diametrically opposed people, both of whom are struggling with their beliefs, Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis. I think it's a great film for our listeners and watchers. I want you to see Freud's last session. And, and one more time, Matthew, for people who want to know more about the film or uh, when and how to see it, can you tell our listeners and viewers, where do they go to see Freud's last session? Well, it's still out in theaters right now. Um, so you'd have to you'd have to Google or, you know, look online, see where it might be playing near you. But I, it will be it will be. I think they're going to do a little bit of a re-release next month uh, for a couple of weeks. So please do check the listings, but um, it'll be out in the next two, one to two months on, on the streaming platforms. I think it's coming out in March on prime. So okay. excellent. Excellent. Matthew Brown. Thank you for being with us to our listeners and watchers. This is a great and creative man. And he's given us a wonderful film Freud's thank last you. session. Please go see it. And uh, Matthew, thanks for being with us on personally speaking. Oh, thanks for having me very much. I want to thank you for being with us on Personally Speaking. If you need to reach me for any reason, you can write me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. You probably listen to this program on the Catholic Channel, Channel 129. You can also watch us on YouTube at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. Uh, we're also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti, as well as Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. 
I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, personally speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jadovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.